Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, world. Welcome once again to Tuesday Talk with Key West Lou. I am your host, Louis Patron. This has been one hell of a week. There has been more news, uh, and it's Trump, 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 Trump. And as I have been saying the past few weeks, I'm getting sick and tired of hearing nothing but Trump on television and the newspapers. And so I'm not going to burden you with a lot of Trump tonight. There's going to be some Trump because it cannot be avoided. It's the most important thing on the table for us Americans today. But again, there are other things happening in the world, and I want to share some of them with you. Many not as important, some interesting, perhaps some more important. I want to start with prison labor. You go to jail, a person goes to jail, they are a prisoner, they are an inmate. Now, they're going to go to a federal jail, state jail, or a privately operated jail, because as you know, many states now want to privatize everything to get rid of the cost, and they privatize their jails. In other words, they turn them over to a corporation who pays X number of dollars a year to rent the facility and take care of the prisoners. And then that private corporation, of course, because their corporation wants to make a profit off the prisoners. And they do, and they do it very well, and perhaps abusively. So I'm talking about the use of prisoner labor, prison labor, and I am describing it as a new American slavery. American slavery was technically abolished back at the end of the Civil War in 1865. But there is a loophole in the 13th Amendment that freed the slaves. Understand that even in 1865, our legislators in Washington, our legislators in the, in the states that had to ratify the amendment to the Constitution, they're businessmen, and they're all out to make a dollar, and they had something good going. Uh, when they lose the slaves, they're losing free labor. But they put something in there to accommodate uh, the loss of that slave labor, and that was prison labor, inmates. And again, there is a loophole in the 13th Amendment. It allows prison labor to continue as a, and I quote, punishment for crimes. In other words, prisoners can be used as free labor or nominally paid labor as part of the punishment for their crimes. Now, it's not surprisingly today that these private corporations are lobbying constantly in state legislatures, even federal legislature in, in, in Washington, for a broader definition of the word crimes. Because the more they can expand it, the greater, the larger the pool of prisoners available to them that they can send out to work and pay them next to nothing and put the profit in their pockets and come out way ahead and make a lot of money for the corporation, the bottom line. Okay, now... One of the problems we have is that slavery really hasn't ceased. I'm talking about Afro-Americans, black people. Back then, you know, black people were the slaves. Since our jails have a higher percentage, a much higher percentage of Afro-American inmates or inmates of color, slavery with regard to the black people is still ongoing in this country. Now, people of color are performing 
on a mandatory basis, essentially unpaid as hard laborers. Uh, in fact, there are more. You're going to find this strange. There are more persons of color, okay, in our jails today than existed as slaves. And these would be primarily black people in the 1830s. More people of color in our jails than existed as slaves on the uh, plantations, etc., back in the 1830s. Looking at another set of numbers, we all know that the United States, with our 300 and some odd million people, we have 5% of the world's population. However, we also have 25% of the incarcerated people in this world. In other words, 20, our, the people in our jail constitute 25% of all the people in jail worldwide even though we only have 5% of the world's population, which means that the United States has the largest incarcerated population in the world. turns out to be about 2.4 million prisoners. Note, most of these are persons of color. Now, what is this prison labor, you know, that I'm talking about? You're going to be shocked when I open your eyes here, because this was an eye-opener for me. The prison labor produces goods and services for almost every American business, for almost every American business. Let me give you some examples. You've heard of Whole Foods, okay? They use prison help big time. That $12 a pound tilapia fish that you buy in the supermarket that is described as American family bread really was raised in Colorado by prisoners who earned... 74 cents a day. They pay 74 cents. They're paid 74 cents a day to cultivate, breed, and raise these fish that you buy in the supermarket for $12 a pound. Profit, big time. How about fancy goat cheese? Fancy goat cheese. Fancy goat cheese. The goats are raised and milked by prisoners. They're sold by Whole Foods also. Let's take a look at McDonald's. This is beautiful, McDonald's. <laughs> uh, made in prisons, made by prisoners, things used in McDonald's restaurants. Plastic cutlery, the, so the spoons, the forks, the knives, containers, and uniforms. Uniforms. Now, follow what I'm going to say because this is fantastic. The inmates who sew uniforms, the inmates that sew, that sew McDonald uniforms make less money by the hour than the people who wear them. Now, you know how McDonald's employees are crying all over the country. They can't live on $7.35 an hour, whatever it is, the minimum wage. Okay? These people who are making their uniforms that they wear make a hell of a lot less than the minimum wage. Now, let's go to Walmart. <laughs> they have a company policy. And the policy is, and I quote, forced or prison labor will not be tolerated by Walmart. Well, what they say and what they do are two different things because they use prison labor also. And their stores, Walmart stores, are supplied by third-party prison labor factories. Uh, the produce you buy in Walmart comes from prison farms. Victoria's Secret. 
Victoria's Secret. They're in the they're in the business too with prisons. Females in South Carolina prisons. Females in South Carolina prisons sew undergarments and casual wear for the pricey Victoria's Secret company. In the late 1990s, this is very, very interesting with regard to two female employees, two of the prisoners, female prisoners, their responsibility, you know, working in the clothing factory for Victoria's Secret uh, and other products, female products, their job was to remove and replace Sounds, it says it sounds like Obamacare, remove and replace, or reveal and replace. There were labels on the goods. Some goods were imported, and the labels said made in Honduras because they were made in Honduras. Their job was to remove the labels and put on made in the USA labels. See, so you got a higher American manufacturer in America, everything going Obama's way here. He's not responsible for this, Obama. I'm, not, I'm sorry, Trump's not a, a responsible for this, but it sounds like them. Everything's got to be higher American uh, manufacturer in America. These two prisoners ended up in solitary confinement because they told jur- journalists the type of work they were being paid to do. The pay was a pittance under a dollar an hour. Now let's go to AT&T. Several years ago, AT&T announced that they were having a massive layoff of employees primarily telephone operators, because they needed to increase their profits. However, in a very short period of time, they replaced those telephone operators in AT&T call centers with prisoners, with prisoners. And guess what they were paying these prisoners who worked in the AT&T call centers for them? Less than $2 a day. They did save money. They did reduce costs, but it was all part of the plan in their minds. We'll go get prisoners to do this work. We'll pay them dog wages, shit wages, if you'll excuse me. Then there's BP. Remember BP? British Petroleum. Uh, The big spill, 4.2 billion barrels, uh, million barrels rather, 4.2 billion million barrels in the... Gulf Coast, that's right outside of Florida here, Key West. Uh, BP used prisoners to work in the cleanup almost exclusively, and they were African Americans. They were prisoners of color to clean up the spill. Now, at the time, at the time, the cry went out from local governments to please use the fishermen who could not fish any longer because you couldn't fish the waters. They were out of work. They needed money. Hire the fishermen to do the cleanup. BP ignored that request and used prisoners to do the cleanup. And there's no question about it because there's pictures all over the Internet of the Afro-American prisoners. They're wearing white T-shirts and red pants all of them in these pictures, and on the white T-shirts, in bold print, it reads, Inmate Labor, Inmate Labor. Let me let me just run down some other companies that, that use prisoners uh, to do their work because they're cheap. <laughs> uh, Bank of America, Caterpillar, Chevron, Chrysler, John Deere, Lilly, Johnson & Johnson, Kmart, Merck, Microsoft, ExxonMobil, uh, Procter and Gamble, Starbucks, and so on and on and on. Now, it's become such an abuse, and it is an abuse. It's legal, but it's an abuse. Uh, 
You recall in the old days when slavery was legal, the slaves generally worked on the plantations. Well, the prisons of today are now described and referred to as, and I quote, modern plantations. Texas does this the best. They don't fool around going through private corporations. They have everything done directly for their own prisons that are still still remain. They're not privatized, part of the Texas penal system. Their prisoners are required, mandatory, on a mandatory basis, and not to be paid to work at various jobs so te- the state of Texas can earn money off them, okay? Now, other states have a similar situation, except it's not mandatory. Other states that do this give the prisoner the opportunity to opt out. They don't have to do it. Uh, but Texas says everybody's going to do it. we got to make money. Okay. Most of the prisoners don't opt out, by the way, in the other states, because they need that little bit of money, whether it's 74 cents an hour or a dollar an hour. It buys them candy bars. It buys them better food in the store in the prison. It gives them sometimes a little extra money to send home to the family, which isn't a hell of a lot. Which, now, let me see here. Staying with Texas for a moment to show you how they work their people, their prisoners. They start their day at 3.30 in the morning. They get up. They eat breakfast at 4.30. They start work at 6 o'clock in the morning. Texas also has, and I quote, an agribusiness, A-G-R-I-B-U-S-I-N-I-N-E-S-S department, agribusiness department. 2,500 Texas prisoners work directly for the state of Texas in this agriculture, in effect, business. Now, it's a factory farm. It's a factory farm because there's so many people involved. And here's what they do on the farm. This is big. 10,000, they work on constant basis, 10,000 beef cattle, 20,000 pigs, a quarter million egg-laying hens, 74 million pounds of livestock feed, 300,000 cases of canned vegetables, and enough cotton to clothe themselves and others. They also work outside the state prison, the state farm factory, for meat packaging plants, where they process 14 million pounds of beef and 10 million pounds of pork per year. Using prisoners, my friends, is a big business. It's obvious by those numbers. Uh, again, who gets the money? Not the, not the inmates. The jails get it. The corporations get it. The states make a buck. And the private prisons are eating big time. Let me tell you, if you can buy any of their stock, buy it. They are money makers, even though I think the system is corrupt and wrong. Okay. Now, I want to talk briefly about Venezuela. I'm going to be quick about it. I've been following Nicolas Maduro for four years since he became president. The reason I've been following him, as you know, I've said this many times, uh, soon after he became president, Venezuela ran out of toilet paper. They're still out of toilet paper four years later. You have to laugh. Toilet paper is a necessity of life. They don't have toilet paper. They have an insufficient supply in Venezuela. They also uh, ran out of food. Uh, Things got screwed up down there. Maduro wasn't taking care of his people, and they ended up eating their dogs and cats, their pets. 
Then they were invading the zoos and killing the animals in the zoo and taking pieces home for food. They, they, they ate what grew out of the ground down to the grass, now raw earth, nothing growing. They're in rough shape there. They're, they're in flight, much unemployment. There's no work. Uh, the unemployment, the inflation went up last year in 2016, 720%. This year, since the first of the year till now, roughly what, six months, seven months, it's gone up 720% in about a half a year, tied on to the 720% from last year. I mean, the dollar's worth nothing down there. Uh, well, they had an election, and I, I've discussed this and talked about it. I'm very upset because the Venezuelan people don't seem to have the courage to stand up for themselves. This past year, they've been having protests. As many as 100,000 people protesting on the streets of Caracas. But they never, to the rebellion, they need to rebel. There's no question about it. Either. They need a rebellion. Uh, they recently, in the last month or so, have started engaging, engaging the authorities who oppose them, uh, some of whom are Cuban soldiers, by the way. And about, I think, something like 40 have died, or 20 have died in the last month, and about 1,400 have been injured. But still, it's not a real revolution. They don't attack Maduro's, where he lives, his home. They don't attack the, the governmental buildings. For some reason, these people don't have the brass testicles to do what is required to change their way of life. Now, one of the reasons is Cuba is very strong, very strong in Venezuela. They have sowed the seeds of Soviet-type thinking, et cetera, over the years. Uh, and Cuba befriends. Cuba is a poor country. They don't feed their people. They don't take care of their people well. But the big-shot Cubans make a lot of money, as do the Venezuelans who are on the high level of government. And here's how it works. Cuba needs Venezuela so that they can move the cocaine they're dealing with from Colombia, the Colombian cocaine, through Venezuela to the United States and to Africa and then to Europe. They also need Venezuela because, as you're, you're aware, Venezuela has the largest reserves of oil in the world. They get hugely discounted petroleum from Venezuela. This is a good economic deal, big time for Cuba. Cuba has about... 50 high-ranking military officers stationed in Venezuela. Uh, they have 4,500 soldiers. They also have 34,000 medical personnel, which at the drop of anything are ready to fight on behalf of Venezuela. They are trained as mercenaries, in effect, also. So it's the Cubans that are helping the Venezuelans, Maduro's people keep down uh, the Venezuelan people. And those people have got to learn. You've got to get your throat slit. You've got to start fighting. You've got to be willing to die or you're going to live like this forever. Uh, they had an election this past weekend. And it was rigged. I hate to use Trump's term. It was rigged. Uh, and it, the result was as expected. Uh, the Maduro's people got 8,500,000 votes. There's 30 million votes available. Not everyone voted, but eight and a half million votes went to Maduro. Uh, the opposition, 
they got next to nothing, I think 12% of whatever voted. Uh, they were destroyed. Uh, and the whole purpose was to change the Constitution. They will now have a new Constitution, which will have a new legislative chamber. Because Maduro controls the court. The legislative chamber was controlled by the people. But everything that they passed, the court controlled by Maduro said it's illegal, it's unconstitutional. Maduro got fed up with dealing with the, the chamber, the legislative chamber. So they have now they're just going to establish a new legislative chamber. And all of the people who are going to sit in that chamber as legislators will be nominated only by the president, Maduro of Venezuela. So that's what's going on. In the meantime, Maduro and his people eat well. The Cubans are eating well. Everyone at the highest echelon is making money, and they have all, they all have toilet paper. Moving on, remember Sheriff Joe Rapio, Rapio of Arizona for the last 15 years, especially the last 10. He's been pro-Trump, but that's not the reason. He's pro-anti-immigration. He would go to people on the streets in Arizona. His people wouldn't say, show me your papers. No papers. You weren't thrown in jail. You didn't get a hearing before the judge. You were put in a truck or a car or a van and driven right back to Mexico immediately without any judicial proceeding. And he's been told you can't do that. He's very outspoken about being anti-immigration also. He's a tough guy. He's a tough guy. And the federal courts got involved, and the federal district court judge told him, cease and desist. Don't do this anymore. It's illegal. He said to the court, up yours, and he continued to do it. Let me tell you something, my friends. The strongest man, the most powerful person in the United States is a federal district court judge. You don't screw with a federal district court judge. So he got arrested. And yesterday the jury returned after his trial in federal court. He was convicted of criminal contempt of a federal judge's order. He's, I think he's going to do time. Now, Trump, I finally reached Trump here. Trump, uh, remember on the plane coming back from the G20 meeting in Europe, uh, there was a statement written by purportedly by his son Donald uh, that this meeting that came up all of a sudden that was discovered was only him and this Russian attorney and somebody else. I think there were three people in the room. Turned out over a period of several days, the son, Donald, was issuing a statement every day, oh, somebody else was there, or somebody else was there. It went from two or three to eight people, uh, two of which were former KB, KGB people. They're, they're operatives. They're spies for Russia, uh, Putin's Russia. And it was a very short statement, the first statement uh, Donald Trump Jr. issued, about four lines just said this meeting was for adoption purposes, and that was it. Well, turns out, Washington Post last night said, and it's the big thing on the news today, that little message or that report to the authorities, whoever he had to pass it on to, Donald Jr., uh, was written by the president himself on the airplane returning from Europe from the G20 summit. The president wrote it. The president worded it. The president revised it, and the Washington Post indicates that they have, and they've been saying this on TV all day, we have credible witnesses 
okay, who know, who saw. And Trump denies it. And even worse, two of his attorneys went on TV today, and they said it was a falsehood. Now, the most important thing an attorney has is his license, and I hope these guys uh, were relaying to the public what their client told them and what they believe. Because if they're bolstering his lie and they know it's a lie, they're going to be in jeopardy with regard to their licenses. But this is another thing which has been added to the Trump story now. Scaramucci, Scaramucci. I didn't like this guy from day one. I'm ashamed. I think I said this on the show last week. He's Italian. I'm Italian. My mother was born in Italy uh, with a name like Scaramucci. He's Italian. With a name like Patron, I'm Italian. He put me to shame. He made the Italian people look bad. It was a throwback. He's a throwback to the 1920s and 1930s when the mafia was running around this country. Uh, He did wrong. He did wrong. He sounded like a bully. He acted like a bully, like those guys from the 20s and 30s. And he got his just due. He he had the job for six days, didn't even have time to get sworn in, and he got canned. Now, I talked for several months about robots, and then I exhausted myself on robots because robots are they're here and they're going to come even bigger in the next two, three, four years, and they're going to replace more and more jobs because corporations can make more money using a machine, a robot to do a, a task than a human being. Very simple. Well, guess what? <laughs> we now have. <laughs> Robot sex brothels. Robot sex brothels. Isn't that amazing? Whorehouses operated. The women are robots. They're not human females. They are robots. And they're in Europe. Uh, In Austria, which doesn't surprise me, by the way, it used to be that Bangkok and Thailand were referred to as the whorehouse of the world. I wrote an article five or six years ago in my book, The World Upside Down, where I said that Germany, Berlin and Germany and Austria were the new whorehouse of the world because they did it even better than Bangkok. And, you know, they had afternoon specials for golf teams uh, from two to four some afternoons. People over 65, the men got a discount. Uh, but these are real women. But the first, it's company's called Lummy Dolls, L-U-M-I-D-O-L-L-S. First uh, one to start up and, and uh, was in Austria, recently two opened in Spain. All right, and the word is the word is, and I read the comments on this. Uh, number one, they're beautiful. These dolls are beautiful. I, I'd say if a, a female is a ten, these robots look like eight point fives. They're that gorgeous. And you pick out, they got four different facial and body things you can combine, mix, different hairdos, lips, eyes, different clothes. You, you put everything together for your woman. Uh, and they provide all services, all services. And the comments said these services were better than with a real woman. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm laughing uh, because you don't know what the hell's going to happen in this world. But we now have <laughs> robots. Uh, providing sexual services for men. The charge in the House of Ill Repute for an hour's worth of services is 80 to $100 American money. Uh, the company wants to franchise worldwide. They're looking for people in the United States, England, France, all over Japan uh, 
to buy a franchise and operate the business. I, I question its success, but it's there, and who the hell knows where it's going to go. I uh, want to talk quickly about uh, Rob, Rick Perry. Rick Perry's in Trump's cabinet. He's Secretary of Energy. He's form, he was formerly governor of Texas. Uh, he's a charming personality. He appears intelligent, but he got punked recently. P-U-N-K-E-D means someone fooled, deceived him in a telephone call. What I'm going to share with you now raises a question in my mind and probably yours. As to how much vetting does the Trump administration do when a high-level person such as the Secretary of Energy gets a phone call? A phone call came into Perry's office. It was the Prime Minister of Ukraine. He talked to the Prime Minister of the Ukraine on the phone for 22 minutes about American coal exports to the Ukraine, sanctions against Russia, helping the Ukraine develop oil and gas deposits in the Paris Climate Accord. It wasn't the prime minister. It was two comedians from Russia known as the Jerky Boys. And I have to ask the question, where the hell is the vetting? This is disgraceful. The Trump administration doesn't do anything right. I say it with all due respect. That's the show for this evening. I've been all over the place, but I hope you enjoyed. Uh, I enjoyed sharing this information with you. uh, And I look forward to being with you again next week. Good night.